0: Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 135. Bienvenidos, bitches, and thank you so much for listening. (laughs) Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight. Cis able-bodied white dudes. They just aren't. Now, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fru Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Would you believe it? Allegedly.
1: (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth. And I just happen to be white. It is not her fault. It makes me laugh every time. (laughs) (laughs) We are not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at
0: 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Well,
1: let's call this the Triple McMurder case from Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. This story is about Tony Von Carruthers and two other men who killed three people in an attempt to corner the illegal drug trade in their Memphis neighborhood. And this story was suggested to us by our fruity Marcus.
0: The best. Thank you, Marcus. By the way, I don't know if you follow Marcus on social media, but he is out in Mexico right now living his best life. Awesome. It looks beautiful. He looks, I mean, also Marcus is an impeccable dresser. I'm talking (laughs) Luke's. L E W K S, (laughs) Luke's. And I just respect the drip so much. Also, thank you, Marcus. Yeah. But before we get into our uh, order of triple McMurder from Memphis, how are you doing? Well, I'm a little stressed out with work, other stuff, and yeah,
1: other work.
0: (laughs) You know, but I'm surviving. Yeah, Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, just a little stressed out. How are you doing? I, I mean, I, I'm stressed. uh, But when people ask, I don't say it. I just say another day (laughs) in paradise. Yeah, Yeah. everything's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Because if I were to say terrible, thanks for asking. I mean, it couldn't help me anyway. So, yeah, sometimes I just say I'm
1: fine because I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I did you know. that this morning when my uh, coworker tried to talk to me. I was like, I'm fine. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I did apologize to her later, but. Uh, you did
0: not. Are you I serious? Did. Well,
1: I was like, I'm crabby this morning. It has nothing to do with you. I'm sorry. You know.
0: Oh, OK. 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 I just okay. didn't want to talk. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm uh, shout out to you for being honest and whoever it was that you apologized to for re- for receiving it. Because sometimes we just have bad days. Yeah, we just do. Yeah, yeah. But I will be adding you to the prayer list uh, for sure. (laughs) Um, But you know what was a bright shining light in um, this shitty world? Hamilton. Yeah, we went to see Hamilton. We sure did. Yes, we did, and we uh, ate at the most glorious Ethiopian uh, restaurant for dinner. It was fantastic. It was
1: awesome. Yeah. Yes,
0: and uh, when it came to the part where they shouted they had a spy on the inside that's right hercules no, 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 no. I, I grabbed <laughs> beth's leg so hard i practically <laughs> ascended from my seat with excitement it was just oh it just feels so good I the know. music feels so yeah. good i'm always curious about why people watching the show who might not understand hip-hop you know, like what right. they're, what's going through their minds <laughs> when they're listening to like the cabinet meeting battle rap or the the ten dual commandments, which is an ode to Notorious B.I.G. The ten crack commandments. Uh, <laughs> See, and, I uh,
1: didn't know that, they, but I
0: still enjoy it. <laughs> Well, there you go. You answered my question. See, I go to the source, folks. Now <laughs> now we are going to get into some listener letters.
1: Well, hello, angels. Hello. Thank hello. you. Hello.
0: What <laughs> is in that
1: back Beth well Bert's son who helped us with our last case gave us right. some updates on some other past cases that we did located in Asia mm. so we'll post these to our website so I wanted to say thank you to Burt's son for that information
0: yes thank yeah. you Bert.
1: you're awesome
0: couldn't do this without you
1: yeah (laughs) and I also wanted to say thank you to Jay Spice and P.O. for your five star reviews oh
0: yes thank you (laughs) 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 and this might be a surprise to you Beth but we got the loveliest message video message from Rondika on our Uh, Facebook page I didn't know that you didn't know that I'm gonna play it for you it might the quality might be really bad okay I'm gonna put it up to the mic
1: oh my goodness y'all look i'm listening to your podcast on the way back from our anniversary vacation with my husband our anniversary was september 25th there go my handsome man where is he hey hey i'm surprised he's speaking because he's shy like i am but anyway that song september was the song that we walked out on um after the ceremony, the recession recessional what do you call it? I don't know. Oh, my glasses broke. We po, but you know, I'm gonna give me some glasses. I'm still sexy though.
0: But anyway, yeah. thank
1: you for the shout out. I did not expect that, and that was so awesome, especially with the song and you didn't even know when it's our anniversary and all the stuff. Aww. I love you, Wendy.
0: And Beth. Sweet. I do. <laughs> That's so sweet. We love you too, yeah, Ronica. Um, congratulations yeah. on your anniversary. It's our Uh, Congratulations, and we love you too. Yeah. Uh, Rondica has been our day, our day one. with us since yeah. day one. Yeah. Always supportive, always keeping it real, and we just can't thank you and enough. She's that hilarious. was so sweet. Yes, she is, girl, and we love us some Rondica. We do, and yes, we had no idea it was your anniversary, but I'm so glad you liked the song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Randika. Uh so this week we have one new Patreon. Their name is Jade. And uh I wrote two tunes, but uh let's see. Uh I'm gonna just do this one. Okay, here we go. Thank you, Jade. Ooh baby. Gonna get to you girl. <laughs> thank you, Jade. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into the story when we come back.
1: Hello, this is Doctor Grande, the host of True Crime, Psychology, and Personality. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health,
0: I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.
1: From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past.
0: You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash fruit. I do do a podcast, but I'm not a professional anything, including Spear. Remind us, who is our subject today? (laughs) Today we're talking about Tony Von Carruthers,
1: and he, along with brothers James and Jonathan Montgomery, killed three people in an attempt to corner the illegal drug trade in their Memphis neighborhood.
0: Some of the details in this story may be very Very disturbing, disturbing. so please be (laughs) warned. Protect yourself. (laughs) <laughs> Protect yourselves. Okay. Memphis town. Mamphistan. Uh, let's get into some stats, shall we? Alright, so the perps we're talking about today, uh are Tony Carruthers and the brothers James and Jonathan Montgomery. Uh Tony Carruthers specifically was born on July 1st, 1968. Carruthers and the Montgomerys kidnapped, shot, and buried their victims alive on February twenty-fourth or twenty fifth in nineteen ninety-four. Uh the victims were Marcellos Anderson, twenty-one, his mother Deloise Anderson was forty three, and Frederick Tucker, who was just seventeen. Mm. So rest in love and yeah. power, y'all. Um and now we're gonna get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Memphis, which is located in the extreme southwestern
1: part of Tennessee, lies on the Chickasaw Bluffs above the Mississippi River, where the borders of Arkansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee Did meet. Did not realize that. I
0: didn't. Kind of like the Four Corners, except it's the oh, Three yeah. Corners. Hello. Um, well, Memphis was founded in 1819 on land previously inhabited by the Chickasaw Indians, or we should say originally inhabited. Um, Andrew Trassass Jackson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he is trash I hate him so much he was one of its founders and boy was he a racist yeah uh, Memphis was named for the ancient Egyptian city meaning place of good abode sounds nice it does it sounds beautiful I've never been to Memphis have you no
1: not that I recall okay Let's show <laughs> Memphis grew rapidly with the expansion of cotton growing in the South and because of its transportation facilities by railroad and river. It was a Confederate military center early in the Civil War, but on June 6, 1862, the Union Army overtook Memphis by sailing down the Mississippi River from the north. Ooh, that's exciting. I yeah. love it when
0: races get, you know, <laughs> <taken> <laughs> defeated. <over. laughs> yeah. So Memphis remained occupied by the Union Army until the end. Of the war. Many enslaved people fled their plantations to join the Union lines. Um, and because of this, the black population in Memphis increased from 3,000 before the war to over 20,000 by 1865. In May of 1866, one of the country's worst
1: race riots took place in Memphis, illustrating white Southern unwillingness to face defeat and share civil or social rights with the newly freed Black people after the Civil Mm, War.
0: What a shame. The riot began when a white police officer attempted to arrest a Black ex-soldier, and an estimated 50 Black people showed up to stop the police from jailing him. Accounts vary as to who started the shooting, I know who started it. But the (laughs) altercation that ensued quickly involved more and more of the city.
1: The victims initially were only black soldiers, but the violence quickly spread to other black folks living just south of Memphis who were attacked in their homes. Oh, my God. White Northerners who worked as missionaries and school teachers in black schools were also targeted. Isn't that
0: ridiculous?
1: Yeah. Because
0: people look differently. Yeah. Again, it's not a zero-sum game, y'all. Yeah. There's Get enough now. There's- for everybody who is a human being to be all right. Uh, but uh, again, um, ugh, I hate racism. Anyway, <laughs> Memphis police and firemen openly participated in the violence and looting. And as a result, the city's black citizens could not count on them to stop the attacks or put out the fires of the black neighborhoods. Actually, um, I, I don't know if this is something we've talked about before, but if a black person was the victim of arson, their are fired. The city's fire department wouldn't put their fire out. That that wow. happened pretty generally. So Yeah. That's just yeah, sucks. I hate racism! <laughs> I hate it!
1: <laughs> the conflict stretched into a second day when Memphis Mayor John Park refused to request state or federal assistance. On the afternoon of the third day, General Stoneman declared martial law and sent Black and white troops into the city to establish order. Now,
0: so this is it's 1866, right? Correct. So a year after the Civil right War ends, Civil we're, War. and we're yeah. do, in, we're within the throes, the beginnings of Reconstruction, which was. I've said this before. Arguably, the the most progressive time in American history, in which the barriers of discrimination and white supremacy had um, not been eliminated, but fallen, and so there was black politicians, black people could have jobs and own homes, and um, there there was a, a lot of freedom rapidly, and it made white people very uncomfortable. Break the fuck <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> During the three day riot, forty six black people, most of them union veterans, were murdered. Uh, Can you imagine just attacking uh, a veteran today? No. How how ridiculous that Uh, sounds? Um, Two white people died in the conflict. One as a result of an accident and another a policeman because of a self-inflicted gunshot. Which reminds me of the Capitol riot. January 6th is up in here. Oh, boy. Yes. That police
1: officer that killed himself afterwards. That's right. It was so upsetting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. Crazy. Look at yeah. you, drawing all these parallels to the, <laughs> the string and the post-it notes and the cigarette in your mouth all intense. My eyes yeah. switching back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> Do you see? Do you see
1: the connections? Uh, back to the bad okay. stuff. There were five rapes and 285 people were injured.
0: <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah, right?
1: Yes. Oof. Over 100 houses and buildings, including 12 churches and four schools, were burned down as a result of the riot and the neglect of the firemen. No arrests were Th- that, made.
0: This is horrible. This yeah. is absolutely horrible. The, sometimes w- when I learn about uh, racist history, it just is so upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found out there's there's this Blacks in Wax Museum in Baltimore, And it is wax figures of a slave ship, of lynchings. And there's one couple who were lynched. They didn't have anything to do with what made the white people mad, but white people were so mad, they were just going to kill everybody. everybody everybody, They They, uh, lynched a pregnant woman, hung her up by her ankles, Cut out her baby. She was eight months pregnant. Then stomped on the baby's head. Oh Jesus! Then put two cats inside of her belly and sewed it up to see and place bets on which cat would get out first. Oh my God! Isn't that horrible? It is so sick. sick. And psychopathic. Yeah. And again, these these things, like in this story, and like on January sixth, were done without punishment. The riot aroused sympathy in the U.S. Congress for the freedmen, drawing attention to the need for legal safeguards on their behalf and helped to win passage of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, making all freedmen citizens. Memphis became a center of trade for
1: the South's cotton and economic development escalated after World War II. Memphis's central location has helped make it one of the largest distribution centers in the United States. Mm. Its international airport is the world's second busiest cargo airport after Hong Kong. Wow. And oh. the city is among the
0: nation's largest inland river ports. I did not know that. I thought it was barbecue, three, six mafia. That's all I thought. <laughs> wow. Fascinating. So North Memphis flourished during the 19th and 20th centuries. Klondike and Smoky City are two of the oldest African-American elite communities in Memphis. Historic neighborhoods like Speedway Terrace, Villantine Evergreen and Shelby Forest were also home to wealthy families and a vibrant manufacturing industry.
1: Orange Mound, a neighborhood located in southeast Memphis, was the first African-American neighborhood in the history of America to be built by and for African-Americans. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
0: I see y'all over there in Orange
1: Mound. <laughs> Got any room for one more? <laughs> Memphis today is home to Tennessee's largest Black population, and the city is majority Black at about 63%. Wow. Wow. Okay. Very cool.
0: Yeah, I'm adding it to my list of places to move Check to out. flee yeah. white supremacy. <laughs> um, so the nineteen sixties civil rights movement greatly affected the city. On April 4th, 1968, civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., visiting the city in support of a sanitation worker strike, was killed on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel by a sniper's bullet. The motel became the National Civil Rights Museum in nineteen ninety-one. Exhibits trace the history of the civil rights struggle. And King's room is preserved. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I would too. Actually, uh, somebody we work with went. Oh, really? He was so, yeah, he was so happy to tell me all about it and (laughs) I just thought it was really cool and I would love to go, yeah.
1: Yeah. Memphis is one of the birthplaces of blues music Mm. and is associated particularly with composer W.C. Handy who immortalized the city's Beale Street in one of his songs, Beale Mm. Street Blues. Handy's home is preserved as a museum and modern Beale Street is a popular entertainment district with nightclubs, restaurants, shops, live music and other attractions. Jeez, you
0: gotta say less, Beth. Everything you're saying about Memphis it sounds it's just awesome. Making it the most attractive city. I know. Every time we cover a place, I'm like, eh, I kind of want to go there. <laughs> I yeah, I kind of do too. So, you know what? Their um, their uh, travel bureau needs to uh, you know get at us. All these cities that we're yeah. you know, covering the history and stuff. <laughs> uh, so BB King also occupies a central place in the history of the blues in Memphis. A blues festival is held annually in August, and other events throughout the year to celebrate the city's musical heritage. Memphis has also been called
1: the birthplace of rock and roll. Elvis Presley launched his career from Memphis's legendary Sun Studio. After Presley's death in 1977, his mansion and burial site, Graceland, became a shrine and opened to the public for tours in
0: 1982. Now that's something I have zero interest in. Yeah, now, I don't really care about that. <laughs> well, welcome. Here's, here's my beef with Elvis. He was a racist. So welcome to Culture Corner. Now, many <laughs> may not realize that Elvis was racist and a thief, but he was. Now, <laughs> interestingly, he stated at one point, quote, the only thing that Negroes can do for me is... Is buy my records and shine my shoes," oh my unquote. God. Yeah, nice guy. And uh, rock and roll is a genre of music created by Black Americans. Again, yep. uh, you don't create the blues because everything is hunky dory, peachy keen. <laughs> it comes from pain, yeah. and uh, due to you know at the time the um, racist media, radio, record companies, and marketing, it was it became palatable when it was delivered by white performers like Elvis. Yeah, prior to that, didn't they just call it black music? Yeah, black yeah. music or colored music. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I also found a quote where Elvis acknowledged that he was not as talented as someone like Fats Domino. Um, but he also didn't seem to do much to elevate or credit the styles and artists that he stole or copied from in his rise to fame. Yeah, uh, I don't
1: think he was a great nope, guy.
0: not one bit. But- and he died in a toilet. He died <laughs> straining his stool, which I love. You love to see it. <laughs> you love to see it. Sorry for you, Elvis enthusiasts. Uh, but I stand by what there I There you said. go. Yeah.
1: Memphis also made a huge contribution to the development of soul music with Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, Sam and Dave, and Al Green being just a few of the significant soul artists who recorded in Memphis or called it home. The
0: Memphis in May International Festival is an annual month-long event devoted to a different country each year. Africa in April is an annual festival celebrating African-American culture, Chukalisa, a prehistoric Native American village and archaeological museum, is in T.O. Fuller State Park in southwestern Memphis. Again, we it all gotta go very, there. very cool. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if only we could get TripAdvisor to sponsor our show. <laughs> so now we're gonna get into Tony Von Caruthers' early life. Hit it Beth.
1: So, we don't have a lot on his early life, but uh, Tony Von Carruthers was born on July 1st, 1968. He had at least one brother, Terrence Roderick Carruthers. Prior to this case, Carruthers had a previous conviction for aggravated assault. At least one source alleged that Carruthers had ties to the gangster disciples, but I couldn't verify that. Oh,
0: boy. Well, if Beth couldn't verify it, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) We were unable to determine which neighborhood in Memphis this story took place, although one site seemed to imply it took place in Shelby Forest, Fraser, a North Memphis neighborhood, but we couldn't confirm that. So if any of you Fruities know, please let us know. Um, but anyway, today, Shelby Forest fraser has one of the highest crime rates in Memphis, um, a crime rate of, wait a minute, is this a typo? 264% nope. yep. above the United States average. Um, violent crime is 564% above the norm. And there's Isn't reasons that for that. <laughs> it is nuts. There's reasons for that. It is not. Right. Um, it It is. It's uh, a lot of it is systemic and yeah. Yeah. Uh, societal. Right. Since we couldn't get a lot of
1: information on Carruthers' early life and his story is heavily peopled, we will go over some of the other characters in this story brothers James and Jonathan Montgomery were friends of Tony Carruthers. James and Jonathan had two other brothers and two sisters, and they were raised by their mother in North Memphis. Marcellos
0: Anderson, nicknamed Cello, was a Memphis drug dealer. He considered Tony Carruthers to be a close and trustworthy friend. Oh no! Mm -hmm. Cello was earning significant amounts of money dealing cocaine. He was known for carrying rolls of cash in a diamond money clip, and he wore a gold and diamond ring. More than Two thousand dollars. Oh my God! It was worth more than two thousand dollars. Wow, ballin! He also kept significant amounts of money in the attic of his mother Deloise's home where he lived. Okay, so he's not balling that much if he's living, he's with, living his mom. with his mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Andre,
1: baby brother Johnson, a man named Terrell Adair, and Cello Anderson were best friends and sold cocaine together. Johnson, Anderson, and and Adair all wore similar rings. People,
0: let me tell you about my best friend. We sell cocaine together. It's so much fun. Uh, It seems like a lot of folks in the story had large extended families that lived in the neighborhood. And so there are a lot of familial ties um, among the uh, people involved. So get your string ready. Yeah. Get out your (laughs) scorecards. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance.
1: That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put
0: your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party
1: for your eyeballs (laughs) as you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force.
0: Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So now we're going to head on into the timeline. What do you got for us, Beth?
1: Well, this was a tough story because there were a lot of conflicting stories witnesses said mm-hmm. things and then retracted what they said and told different stories so we're going to do the best we can and mm-hmm. also since there's two montgomerys and other people with the same or similar last names we'll often refer to them by their first names just for clarity so just wanted to to put that thank out there thank you
0: beth for that You're so welcome. sweet so kind <laughs> this woman right here this woman <laughs> Woman right here. Mm, 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 mm. So uh, in 1993, Carruthers was sitting in a Tennessee prison serving time for aggravated arson, aggravated assault and battery and armed robbery. When he wrote to his friend Jimmy Lee Mays Jr. that he had, quote, a master plan, unquote. He said that when he got out, he intended to, quote, make those streets pay me and everything I do from now on will be well organized and extremely violent unquote Ooh. wow sounds pro- exciting <laughs> yes he has proclaimed you yes. know when you write things down or you write your friend a letter yeah i have never uh, proclaimed uh, that i will be extremely anything i just <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless not not including not violent i just think that's interesting to put in words and yeah. send to somebody yeah
1: In the fall of 1993, Carruthers and James Montgomery were both incarcerated at the Mark Luttrell Reception Center in Memphis. A man named Charles Ray Smith was also incarcerated there. According to Smith, sometime during the early part of November 1993, Smith and Carruthers were on a work detail together at the Rose Hill Cemetery on Elvis Presley Boulevard. Part of their
0: duties included placing coffins in the grave sites. And according to Smith, one day after they finished up burying a body, Carruthers said, quote, that would be a good way, you know, to bury somebody if you're going to kill them. If you ain't got no body, you ain't got no case, unquote. I've heard that before. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It is a, it's a good idea. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you're, you're going to murder, yeah, never
0: mind. It's okay. It's okay. This is a safe space. We can can have discussions. Yeah.
1: While Carruthers and James Montgomery were serving time together, they began plotting to take over the streets of their neighborhood. But to do so meant getting rid of Cello Anderson and his main dealer, Andre Baby Brother Johnson. Shortly
0: after Carruthers was released in November 1993, Andre Baby Brother Johnson, Terrell Adair, and Cello Anderson each gave Carruthers $200, which apparently was customary when someone they knew was released from jail. Hmm.
1: That is really nice and, and it really bothers me because of what happens. <laughs> yeah,
0: later. yeah, I agree.
1: Mm. A month later, Charles Ray Smith was released from prison. He found Cello and baby brother and told them what he knew about Carruthers' plan, but they dismissed it, believing that their friend would not double cross mm. them. Mm-mm.
0: In December of 1993, Jimmy Lee Mays, Billy Mays here, Jimmy Lee Mays Jr., the guy Carruthers wrote to in prison, his brother and Carruthers were riding around together when they happened upon a scene where a car had been shot up inside of Deloise Anderson's house, Cello Anderson's mother. Jonathan
1: Montgomery was at the scene already when they arrived. Jonathan got into the backseat of the car with Carruthers. Carruthers was overheard commenting to Jonathan that the best time to kidnap Sello would be when James Montgomery was released from prison. Wow. Okay, so this plan,
0: I mean, if you thought he was joking,
1: uh, he wasn't. Clearly, joking. He wasn't
0: No. Nope. A couple of weeks later on New Year's night, Mays saw Carruthers loading three antifreeze containers into a car. Mays got in the car with Carruthers, and as he was about to light a cigarette, Carruthers told him not to do it because there was gasoline in the antifreeze containers.
1: James Montgomery was released from prison on January 11th, 1994. He immediately looked up Baby Brother and Cello, informing them that he, not them, was in charge of their neighborhood, saying, quote, it was my neighborhood before I left and now I'm back and it's my neighborhood again, unquote. He asked Johnson whether he wanted to go to war over it. Wow.
0: Okay, that escalated quickly. Yes. (laughs) So sometime later in front of Johnson's house, James also told Johnson, we already got our man staked out. If we wanted some trouble or something, we got you right now. We'd kill your whole family. But Carruthers told baby brother that he was not in danger. We already got our man staked out, he said. You all right. If it's any problem, we'll deal with it later. Now, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> <sighs> what? I I guess it just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll talk about it later in our takeaways, but it yeah. just seems like there were other options. <laughs> right,
1: right. Um
0: and uh yeah, yeah i
1: don't i don't get it
0: nope <laughs>
1: nope me either on wednesday february 23rd 1994 Sello anderson's cousin michael harris let Sello borrow his jeep cherokee Cello stayed with Harris sometimes during the week, and he would loan Sello his car once or twice a week. Around
0: 4.30 p.m. February 24th, witnesses saw Sello Anderson and 17-year-old Frederick Tucker riding in the Jeep along with James Montgomery and his brother Jonathan. A half hour later, the four men showed up at the house of the Montgomery brothers' cousin, Nikita Montgomery Shaw. James was living with Nikita
1: in February 1994 and brought friends by the house occasionally. Benton West, another of Shaw's cousins, and Shaw's four children were also at the house that day. The Montgomery brothers, Cello Anderson and Frederick Tucker, entered the house and went down into the basement. Then James came back upstairs and asked Shaw if she
0: could leave the house for a while so he could take care of some business. West, the children, and Shaw all left the house. West later said that Shaw told him that she thought there was a kidnapping type situation going on. After they left, West told Shaw that he would never visit her again if James was in the house. Well, I'm with West. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a yeah. good idea. Yeah, let me let me jot this down for later. Hip hop air
1: Yeah. Wow. According to Shaw, when she did return that evening, Montgomery asked if she could leave for a little bit longer, which she did when she returned home again sometime before 10 p.m., Tony Carruthers was also there. It's
0: unclear if Jonathan Montgomery was still there or not. Montgomery told Shaw to put her kids to bed upstairs and stay there until he said otherwise. When Montgomery told her they were leaving, she went back downstairs and watched as the men left the house. She later told police that Cello and Tucker had their hands tied behind their back, but then afterward, while testifying on the stand, said they did not. Shaw locked the front door behind them.
1: Now this guy's got some balls, this James Montgomery. Uh he's staying with his cousin and he's ordering like, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Wait a minute. Whose
0: house is this? Whose house is this?
1: Whoa. Cello Anderson, Delois Anderson, and Frederick Tucker were kidnapped, robbed, and murdered sometime between the evening of February 24th, 1994 and the morning of February 25th, 1994. Delois Anderson was Marcelo Anderson's mother. Marcelo lived with her, as did Laventia Denise Anderson Briggs, Marcelo's cousin and Delois's niece. On the
0: evening of the 24th, Laventia was visiting at a friend's house when she attempted to call Delois around 8 p.m. Someone answered the phone but did not speak. Laventia said, Hello, several times but received no response. So she hung up the phone and tried calling back, but no one answered the phone again.
1: When Leventia went home at about 9 p.m., she noticed that Delois had been there, quote, "because her things were there and she had left her food," unquote. her dinner was on the table and it was clear that she'd been interrupted while eating. Leventia assumed Delois would be back soon because she left her car, purse, cigarettes, and keys.
0: Laventia went to sleep. Also about 9 p.m., Jonathan Montgomery visited a man named Chris Hines at his home. Chris Hines had known Jonathan, James, and Carruthers since junior high school. Jonathan told Hines that he killed some people and stole their money. Quote, sellin' them, unquote. Jonathan also said, quote, man, we got them folks out of the cemetery on Elvis Presley. And we got $200,000, unquote. That is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Jonathan asked Hines to take him
1: to the cemetery. Hines refused, but allowed Jonathan to borrow his car. Jonathan said he would return the car in an hour, but when he did not return, Hines called James Montgomery at about 11 p.m., looking for his car. James told him he did not know where Jonathan was, but that he would probably not get his back until about 4 a.m., because Jonathan was going to drive James to his girlfriend's house, and I'm assuming... His girlfriend's house is in Mississippi, but I don't really know, but we'll get there.
0: Okay, here we go. On February 25th, 1994, at about 2.40 a.m., Archie Yancey, an officer with the DeSoto County Mississippi Sheriff's Department, observed what appeared to be a Jeep engulfed in flames in a field about 12 miles south of the Tennessee-Mississippi state line. According to Officer Yancey, the way the vehicle was burning suggested that it may have been torched. Early
1: Friday morning, February 25th, Michael Harris was informed that his Jeep had been destroyed by fire in Mississippi. Man, that would be a shitty call to get. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thanks a lot, dude.
1: Michael Harris then called Laventia Briggs at about 3:30 a.m. asking if DeLois was home, but she'd not returned and Cello was not home Charles either.
0: Charles Ray Smith received a call from Andre, baby brother Johnson, around 4 a.m. on February 25th, 1994. Johnson told Smith that Cello Anderson was missing and asked Smith if he had seen him. Then Smith, Frederick's brother Andre Tucker, and baby brother Johnson drove around looking for Cello Anderson.
1: When Smith returned home around 5 a.m., he called James Montgomery, despite the fact that he and Montgomery did not have a friendly relationship. Carruthers answered the phone, and Smith asked to talk to James. Smith
0: asked James if he knew where Cella was because he was the last one he was seen with. Smith also told James that Harris's jeep had been found burned up in Mississippi. According to Smith, James said he did not feel like talking, saying "We'll talk tomorrow," and he hung up the phone. <laughs> Wow. This guy. Wow, yeah. <laughs> uh I, I was going to say big Karen energy. But-
1: <laughs> LaVentia filed a missing persons report for DeLois and Cello. She told police that Marcelo wore a big diamond ring, a watch, and a beeper. She also said that a pillowcase was missing from DeLois's bed. Jonathan,
0: James, and Carruthers eventually returned Hines' car around 8.30 a.m. on the 25th. The car was muddy, but the men took the car to clean the exterior and vacuum the interior, including the trunk.
1: Jonathan again told Hines that they'd killed some people. According to Heinz, Jonathan was paranoid and nervous. Later, when Carruthers and James asked Heinz what Jonathan had told him, Heinz said Jonathan told him nothing. That's really smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't say I a not even word. tell me shit? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I don't know nothing. Thanks uh, for cleaning
0: my car. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask no questions. Don't ask any question you do not want to know the answer no, to. No, no. Uh, so now we're going to get into the Investigation and the arrest. So because James and Jonathan Montgomery were two of the last people seen with Tucker and Cello, they became the focus of the police investigation. James Montgomery told his cousin Nikita Shaw that she did not have to talk to the police about anything. Montgomery also told her that if he was going to be put to death for something he did not do, then quote, all of us need to die, unquote. Well, I don't uh, agree. Yeah uh, <laughs> No, <laughs> we yeah. don't I agree to disagree, okay?
1: <laughs> Jonathan Montgomery was brought in for questioning. There's not a lot of information about out there about this, but uh Jonathan apparently confessed. It's also unclear why he confessed, but I got the feeling that he wasn't one of the masterminds behind this crime and probably thought that confessing would be his best option.
0: Yeah. Um I mean, I could see that. I mean, also, you know, we've seen interrogations and stuff. Um, right. and maybe he just wasn't cut out. You know, wasn't for that. Uh, for yeah, yeah, for that of kind of thing. I mean, that's that's yeah. what an interrogation is intended to do, right? Break you right. down to get information. Somebody. Yeah, you know, the right way, not how police do to get like false confessions and shit. But um, yeah, maybe he just. Wasn't uh, strong enough uh, yeah. mentally. Um, but we're glad he confessed. Anyway, on March 3rd, 1994, Jonathan Montgomery led detectives Jack Ruby of the Memphis Police Department to a grave on the Rose Hill Cemetery on Elvis Presley Boulevard. The grave was for a woman named Dorothy Daniels, who was buried on February 25th, 1994, six plots away from the gravesite of a Montgomery cousin. Wow. Ruby obtained
1: a court order permitting disinterment of the casket from Dorothy Daniels's grave. Along with the police officers, two anthropologists and two medical examiners assisted in the removal of the bodies. The casket containing the body of Daniels was located in a plywood box inside the grave.
0: Okay. That does not sound good or cool (laughs) or legal. Uh, (laughs) But below this box, underneath several inches of dirt, they found another single piece of plywood. And the bodies of the three victims were discovered underneath this piece of plywood, lying in a pit that had been dug further down in the dirt.
1: The body of Delois Anderson was lying at the bottom of the grave and the bodies of the two male victims were lying on top of her. The hands of all three victims were bound behind their backs. Frederick Tucker's feet were also bound and his neck showed signs of bruising caused by a ligature. A red sock was found around Delois Anderson's neck. Sello Anderson's money and jewelry were gone. The medical
0: examiner believed that each victim was alive when buried a lot buried alive. Yeah. Uh that's a new one for uh the the stories we've covered. Yeah. yeah. Delois Anderson had been strangled with the sock but died from asphyxia caused by several different factors. Uh the position of her head against her body, dirt in her mouth and nose and trauma from weight on her body. Oh my god, that's horrific. Yeah. Frederick Tucker
1: had received a gunshot wound to his chest, which would not have been fatal had he received medical care. Mm. He also suffered injuries from blunt trauma to his abdomen and head, resulting in broken ribs, a fractured skull, and a ruptured liver. It's believed that the force of compression from being buried produced the other injuries, and along with the gunshot wound, caused his death. According
0: to the medical examiner, Marcellus Anderson had been shot three times, a contact wound to his Forehead that was not severe, and two shots to his neck, one of which was also not serious.
1: However, the gunshot causing the other neck wound had entered Marcelo's windpipe and severed his spinal cord, mm. paralyzing him from the neck down. But this wound was not instantaneously fatal. Cello also had suffered blunt trauma to his abdomen from compression forces. Oh my
0: God, this is horrifying. Horrific. Yeah, those poor people. So it's unclear exactly what happened the night these three people were killed. There are several conflicting stories. Um, One story was that the three men had come looking for Cello at his mom's house, but he wasn't home. So they had her call him. And when he did get home, they kidnapped Cello, DeLois, and Frederick.
1: They then took them to the cemetery where Frederick and Cello were shot and DeLois was strangled. It's unclear if they knew that the victims were still alive or not when they threw them in the grave.
0: Another story was that the victims were taken to where the Jeep was burned, killed there, and then back to Memphis to be buried. But that doesn't make a lot of sense. Most likely, they took the Jeep to Mississippi after the murders and then burned it.
1: It's not clear why they did this, unless one of the victims was attacked in the Jeep or they were just being thorough about evidence. Although this was back in 1994, before people really understood DNA evidence. It's also unclear why Frederick Tucker was even murdered, what his involvement was.
0: that's the, He's the 17-year-old, right? Yeah, just, yeah. I
1: guess just being there. I don't yeah, know. Just and being a witness, I suppose. I,
0: yeah. And I have some thoughts about the m- reason why this m- they might have gone so extra. Uh, right. They get extra credit for gruesome and yeah. horrifying crimes. Yeah. Um, another puzzler is how the timeline jives with Nikita Shah's recollection of events. She tells a story that James Montgomery, Tony Carruthers, Frederick Tucker, and Cello Anderson left the house together sometime before 10. DeLois Anderson disappeared sometime before 9. Where was she doing this?
1: And if Montgomery and Carruthers already had Frederick Tucker and Cello Anderson at Shaw's house, why would they go to DeLois's house and take her? Maybe they went to her house to get the money that Cello stashed there? Um, I don't know. We'll probably never know.
0: But um, I'm wondering where the Dateline interview is. Where's yeah. the
1: deadline episode on this case. uh where's what's his face? Yeah where's what's his face? What's his
0: name? uh, Morrison? Ken Burns? Yeah. No, wrong white guy. Uh, I think it is Morrison. Morris. Keith Morris. Keith Morris, Where's Keith, Morris? Keith Morrison? Murder. <laughs> uh, so in any case, after the bodies were located, Nikita Shaw fled to her mother's in Milwaukee with her children because she was scared. Uh, Jonathan Montgomery went with her without telling the police where she was going. James Montgomery and Tony Carothers had already been arrested and were in jail for parole violations, but the murder charges were temporarily dropped when Jonathan fled the state. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah,
1: crazy. Uh, He was their their only. ah, They didn't have any other information. Yeah. Mm. In early April, Nikita Shaw was questioned by the Milwaukee Police Department. And during questioning, she told police where Jonathan was. She also told the police that James Montgomery had threatened her and told her that she could be considered an accessory. And that, quote, he did not want to have to hurt her unquote.
0: The police told her that?
1: No, that's what James Montgomery told her. Okay. I was going to say,
0: those jerks. Um, But okay, (laughs) I I will calm down now. So now we're going to get into the trial. And in March of 1994, James Montgomery, Jonathan Montgomery, and Tony Carruthers were each indicted on three counts of the premeditated first-degree murders of Marcellus Anderson, his mother, Delois Anderson, and Frederick Tucker.
1: Prior to the trial, Jonathan Montgomery was found hanged in his jail cell, mm. so uh, he committed suicide. Wow! It's, yeah, and
0: he so he confessed under the pressure of interrogation. Right. Somebody said he was nervous, and then he uh, he ran away. He ran away, and he committed suicide. He got
1: caught, and mm-hmm. then he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. James Montgomery and Tony Carruthers were then indicted on three counts each of the especially aggravated kidnapping of all three victims and one count each of the especially aggravated robbery of Marcellus Anderson.
0: Maybe also he wouldn't have been safe in jail with. Yeah, with. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure James Montgomery and uh, Tony Carruthers. Uh, would have done something bad to him. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking. Yeah.
0: Um, Carruthers, whose attorneys described him as severely mentally ill, ran off about a half dozen lawyers with threats or lack of cooperation. The judge was convinced that Carruthers was trying to delay his trial with these tactics and ended up defending himself when the trial judge refused to appoint another attorney. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs>
1: At first, the state's case against him relied heavily on the grand jury testimony from a career informant named Alfredo Shaw. But Shaw's story was deeply flawed. He said Carruthers confessed to him in a jail law library, but later admitted he'd not seen Carruthers since 1988. Wow. Wow. Okay, <laughs> in a statement to local media before the trial Shaw recanted his story.
0: Yeah, and I mean a jailhouse snitch is not um unusual and right. there is, you know, po- there's corruption in this whole system and one of the ways jurisdictions try to get their cases closed and keep their prosecutorial statistics up is by using informants and they use informants when they have nothing else to go off of but right. the problem with informants is they are unreliable yeah. not necessarily credible and if i just i the, it, it's gross because they really are playing with people's lives and yeah um yeah it's, you it's people's lives it's people's for fuck's sake yeah so you know uh I just don't like the idea of jailhouse informants. Anyway, right. the Center on Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University Law School, Northwestern—that's where Meghan Marco went. <laughs> Northwestern University's law school issued a report finding that over forty-five percent of all wrongful convictions in death penalty cases stem from lying by criminal informants, making quote snitching the leading cause of wrongful c- convictions in U.S. capital cases." Unquote. I got to say that something. It's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. You know what else I found out uh, listening to, I think it was wrongful convictions or maybe Pod Save the People, that there are also people who get wrongfully convicted of crimes that don't even exist.
1: Oh, my um, God.
0: Yes. Like because nothing of,
1: ever actually there happened. There was no
0: crime. Yeah. Wow. Nobody was killed. Nobody died. Nothing was stolen. Um, But... They get convicted. Uh, they, of, they convicted of a fabricated oh case my God, because of crazy. this kind of thing. Yeah, that's, so that's nuts. Yeah,
1: prosecutors decided not to use Alfredo Shaw as a trial witness, but serving as his own attorney, Carruthers went forward with Shaw as a witness, and in cross examination, actually led Shaw to repeat his previously recanted testimony, implicating him in the murders. <laughs> Wait, whoa.
0: <laughs> yeah. Really? This guy is not that smart. <laughs> no, I mean, he had. OK, yeah, you're right. Um, it. Wow, I'm just OK. All right, sir. Uh, now, during the trial, Dr. O.C. Smith testified that none of the victims died instantaneously. Each victim suffered as a result of their separate injuries, as well as from the sensation of being buried alive. Yikes. Mm hmm.
1: On April 26, 1996, Carruthers and James Montgomery were convicted, even though there was no forensic evidence linking them to the triple homicides. Both Carruthers and Montgomery were sentenced to death by electrocution for the three murder convictions, and they also received 40-year sentences for each of the other offenses.
0: For each one. So they should never get out, right? Wrong. Uh Where are they now? Uh. (laughs) After winning a retrial due to the prejudicial impact of being tried with Carruthers, James Montgomery was resentenced to 27 years and was released from prison in December 2015. His release stirred up controversy when the family of the victims complained that they had not been notified of any parole hearings. The county prosecutor responded that it was not his job. Okay. Okay. Jeez. Get that guy out. Get, <laughs> get, vote him out. Wow. In 2016,
1: Carruthers gave an interview to a newspaper in which he talked about his trial and the crime. He argued that he was framed, but he never explained how. Oh, he denied okay. being involved in the murders and said he was prosecuted for political gain, but again, gave no explanation. He said, quote, I'm not going to be executed. I'm going to be exonerated, unquote.
0: Uh <laughs> <laughs> you <not>, sir <laughs> uh, but okay so in early 2018 Tennessee adopted a new lethal injection protocol which seems very recent uh yeah. considering the amount of time lethal injection has been in use. Uh, a three-drug cocktail that starts with the sedative midazolam. Mid- midazolam. Midaz- it bedazzle. so, it's bedazzled. B- <laughs> bedazzling midazolam. The sedative midazolam. Mm. Bedazz- in, cock- yeah. in a cocktail <laughs> with uh, lemon garnish on the side. Uh, the protocol became notorious after it was used in botched executions in other states. Yeah, so um,
1: 2018, I think prior to this they were using a different drug protocol yeah and then whichever company it was that sold the one of the drugs refused to sell it anymore yeah i remember that yeah so that's i think that's why they had a new new protocol yeah Mm,
0: okay All right. So
1: Tennessee's new protocol came with warnings from the state's own consultants that midazolam might not be sufficient to prevent a person from feeling the effects of the next two drugs. And the new protocol also prompted a legal challenge filed in February 2018 by 33 death row prisoners
0: who argued that it would effectively torture them to death. Wow. Um, in 2020, uh, Tennessee Attorney General Herbert Slattery, which looks like slavery if you squint your eyes (laughs) enough, Herbert Slattery... (laughs) Requested <laughs> that the state Supreme Court set execution dates for nine men, including Carruthers. Carruthers' attorney filed an opposition to the state's motion to set an execution date for Carruthers, writing that by representing himself in quote in court, he quote, did more to get himself convicted and sentenced to death than did the prosecution, unquote. <laughs> I don't disagree. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you, you, you got that one. They also <laughs> argued that Carruthers was incompetent to stand trial because he is seriously mentally ill. When
1: a forensic psychiatrist attempted to assess Carruthers, he declined to see her and, quote, demanded her insurance paperwork so that he can be paid $3.3 million for her malpractice in attempting to see him, unquote. <laughs> What? That's not how malpractice
0: I'm, works. I'm, look, I'm looking around <laughs> like, did, That's where did you come up that? With works. that? That's no, not how any of this works. That is not. <laughs> wow, sir. Okay. Uh So his attorneys also, you, you know, I, w- I would say I would get a letter like this. Uh I need your insurance paperwork. Give me $3.3 3 million. Just look at it and laugh. <laughs> Uh, so um (laughs) that's funny his attorneys also wrote that another psychiatrist observed that Carruthers believed his attorneys were involved in a quote vast conspiracy within the legal system involving homosexual themes (laughs) wow another doozy unquote (laughs) and that he demanded millions of dollars which he believes the government owes him oh okay okay
1: As of today, Carruthers is still sitting on death row at the Riverbend Maximum Security Institution in Tennessee. And as a side note, Jean Tucker, Frederick Tucker's mom, her oldest son, Andre Tucker, was also murdered on January 13th,
0: 1995. Oh, my God. That poor mother. And, you know, we're going to get into our takeaways. I was going to say, I wonder... There's probably because of the stats we gave about violent crime in the area, right um Tucker's mom is who we know of related to this story, but there's probably a lot of um violent crime victims um yeah. you know, um so anyway, um uh, now we're gonna get into our takeaways and what we think made Tony von Carruther snap. What are your thoughts, Beth? Well, it
1: sounds to me like these folks grew up in poverty, surrounded by violence. Mm -hmm. And uh, you model what you see and selling drugs and committing crimes are just a matter of survival. Mm hmm. But this crime was a whole different ball game. Yes, uh, ma'am. Yeah. Killing someone's mother and a 17-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they killed Cello to take over his drug business, but it sounds to me that the only reason that DeLois and Frederick were killed is because they were witnesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cello was supposed to be a friend. Yeah. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty cold-hearted, especially if they... They knew the victims,
0: right? Were Couldn't alive agree more. Mm-hmm. When
1: mm-hmm. they were buried, yeah, um, it sounds pretty psychopathic to be oh, honest. Yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, okay, O.G. of true crime. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going. I'm agreeing with you completely. Uh, this is all about the Benjamins, including yeah. the lack thereof, i.e., right. poverty, which is not anyone's fault. Poor people are are not poor because they made a mistake. It really is society's fault. Um and it also uh, I agree it seems very unnecessary and so extra like the yeah. ex- all the extra miles right uh, to kill all these people um and although I mean the drug trade is violent right right
1: and you hear about you know drive by shootings and mm-hmm. stuff like that but oh mm-hmm. my god this was yeah. something else
0: yeah but to sustain yourself in a position within the trade you have to engage in violence right, right. um in right. order to do it and i stay think, on top yeah yeah it might look a little bit different when Bi- bipoc folks engage in the drug trade um and in that part of the economy but the similarities between e- the illegal drug trade and big pharma are not lost on me i see you purdue <laughs> so anyway i uh think his choice to kill Uh, the kid and his mom and bury somebody alive was extremely cold hearted. I agree, but it also could have been a tool or a means to intimidate competition or from being double crossed. Like he's so ruthless, uh, in the game that he will even kill his friends. He will nobody's gonna cross him. Yeah. Yeah, and they met in prison, right? Right, and um. I wonder if there had been an opportunity for them to uh, obtain gainful employment if they would have had to return to the illegal drug trade. Right. Um, there's this um, movement to get rid of the box on employment forms. Get rid of the question. Are have are you or have you ever been convicted of a crime? Because it um, uh, eliminates people from the uh, opportunity to get a job right um and so and and that th- leads to recidivism rates people yeah. going back um because they have to commit more crimes when they get out because they can't get r- they can't regular get jobs job. yeah. yeah yeah so just something to think about i mean Carruthers is a piece of shit but yeah. uh yeah i just feel bad for i feel bad for the victims i feel bad for their families but i also feel bad for the guys who were roped in um right. to Carruthers' scheme um Especially uh, in particular, Jonathan. Yeah, because um, I think I if, think
1: James was kind of an asshole.
0: Yeah, so I uh, to I guess I take that back, and all, I I feel bad for Jonathan um, mm-hmm. because he may he may have felt that he didn't have a choice. Right, um, and, and it which
1: is seemed yeah. to me like he he really wasn't part of the plan, you know. Yeah. like yeah. he may have known about it, but maybe he didn't think it was actually going to happen. And then when it happened, he was like, "Oh my god!
0: Oh my oh god! Oh my god! My god! god. These <laughs> yeah. people are not playing no These games. People are nuts. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I agree." or wherever fine podcasts are found. So, now we're gonna move along to the next segment, How Not to Get Murdered. So... If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences.
0: So this tip comes from Mike Rogers on Facebook. Mike is a new listener so and he started from the beginning. Oh, Wow so if he's he still put, here he's still yeah. listening. <laughs> I don't I don't know well, he just started listening to our first episode so okay. if if by the time he gets here, welcome Mike thanks for being here and thanks for this tip. So um it's about preventing somebody from breaking into your house through the garage door which apparently is extremely easy yeah i had no idea
1: you knew that's why yeah that's why i always lock my
0: uh inner door yes okay so do that that is also part of this tip lock the inner door but he shared this video of a youtube account it's called 100 deadly skills um and he describes how a hook uh like a locksmith tool hook or hanger can be slid into the top of your garage door uh, towards that release rope string thingy you did you know that that was a release I had no, no. idea i thought <laughs> i i really I, I thought it was um so you knew so you didn't like uh hit hit the roof of your garage <laughs> in your car I really didn't know what the fuck that thing was what for. Is that apparently. <laughs> it is to release the, the uh, mechanism that keeps the garage door up or down. Uh, okay. So if somebody reaches in with a hanger, essentially oh my uh, gosh. they can, they can um, grab that, grab that thing. Cause the, the string has like a handle at the bottom of it has a red thing, um, like a red plastic thing. Right. So if somebody with bad intentions pulls up to your home with, you know, with a hanger, you might be in trouble. Um, and they could, Get in through your garage. So the the tip here is to cut off the plastic part of the rope. The guy oh, in the okay. video cut the whole string off, and that seems like a lot. Um, but just the handle um at the so bottom. So there's still hanger. Yeah, but if a repair guy comes to your house, like I can still you know, use it. He can yeah. still use it. So and also, as Beth said, lock the inside of your door. And also well, I'll be sure to put the YouTube link in the in the show notes all right um yeah thank you mike (laughs) yes thank you mike now we're gonna get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about marginalized uh folks um and uh any true crime goodies i was just gonna say i watched Candyman, the new Uh one i watched the old one and the new one in a week, and wow. <laughs> I really enjoyed the new one. Oh, good! It was really cool. It, I, I, I have said before, I love horror. Candyman is the it, it's uh, the new version is essentially the same. Uh, there is a man who. Um, was lynched um, for being with a white woman and uh, he was killed. He, he was uh, attacked. His hand was cut off and used as a hook. You say his name three times. Um, and it's kind of a newer, uh, a modern look at the, uh, the horror story. And I okay. just really liked it. Cool. Um, so what do you got? Well, spooked is back. Hallelujah. Yeah. I love (laughs) me some Spooked. Man, some of those stories I'd be listening to. So
1: scary. So
0: scared. Spooked is a podcast
1: presented by Snap Judgment. It's true life, supernatural stories told firsthand by the people they happen to. So... Get in the mood for Halloween and listen to some Spooked. Listen to some Spooked. Also, I listened to an episode of Snap Judgment called Backstage 2. That was great. So Yes, you told me about that
0: episode, and I loved it. It was great. It was hilarious. So that is Spooked, wherever you get your podcast, um, presented by Snap Judgment. And also Candyman, which you can now Rent on Amazon Prime, I believe. Right on. Um, and so that's all for today, but until next time, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is
1: Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly Patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our
0: website. That is correct. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.